Good evening, everyone. Genesis chapter 50 is where our study is going to be tonight. I invite you to open your Bibles and make your way there. Genesis chapter 50. If you're using a hard text or a phone or a tablet, however you're getting the Word of God tonight, you need to be in the last chapter of the book of Genesis as we continue our study of this fascinating life of Joseph. I hope you had a great day today. It was a beautiful day again in Phoenix, Arizona. The weather was beautiful. Let's say one thing and clear the air and make sure our minds are where it needs to be. I know there's a lot going on today. A lot of questions about things being decided on today. But there's one thing that will not be decided on today. There's no elections in heaven. And God's on the throne. There's a lot of things that don't need to take our, our consideration away. It doesn't mean that voting is unimportant or that our role here in this nation is unimportant. But what it does mean is that there's something that's always far more important, and that's why we're here. And so I hope for a few minutes together we can undistract ourselves from the things outside of these walls and to be reminded of things that will always matter, always matter the most. We have some guests. We're thankful that you're here. And to the brethren here, again, I recognize the sacrifice you have made of being here tonight. A lot of things you could have done today, places you've gone, work and school, a lot of young families, and now you just bringing your children out tonight after a long day of all the things that took place, I recognize the sacrifice. Thank you so much for being here and for spending some time together. I love one of the statements that Jason made in the announcements. What we're doing tonight is not an exercise of rehearsing history and going through some facts. Everything we're doing is immensely practical and helpful for how we live. That's how the Word of God was written. One author said, God didn't give us the Bible to make us smarter sinners. It's to make us more like Him transformed into his image. I love the story of a, a high schooler who was 16 years old, just turned 16, just got his license, and he came to his dad and he says, Dad, I just got the license, can I have the keys to the car? And his dad said, I will give you the keys to the car when you meet three conditions. Number one, you've got to start re reading your Bible more because you don't read it at all and you need to read your Bible. Number two, you got to get your grades up because they're in the pits. And so you got to get your grades up and study harder. And number three, you've got to cut your hair. We are not Duck Dynasty in this house. And so you're going to cut your hair. And when you meet these conditions, I will give you the keys to the car. So the son agreed. A month later, he came back and he says, Dad, I've, I've done what you asked. Can I have the keys to the car? And his dad said, well, I've noticed you've been reading your Bible every morning. I'm so proud of you for that. And I've talked to your teachers and you're working hard at school. You're doing a good job. But son, your hair is even longer now than when we talked last time. And he said, well, dad, I've been reading in the Bible and everyone in the Bible had long hair. <laughs> Moses had long hair. John the Baptist had long hair. Even Jesus had long hair. And his dad said, that's true, son. And they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> I like that. Some of us parents need to remember that, don't we? <laughs> The Word of God is written for us to be able to live it, to walk it off the page into our lives. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're going back in history, and we're looking back at things that happened a long, long time ago. But we're not going to leave it there tonight. We're going to take it to our lives and see how we can take these ancient truths and live them in our modern times. Have you ever watched a movie more than once? Have you watched the movie two, three, four times in a row, your favorite film? It's not the same as watching it that first time, is it? No, because it's when it seems like Dorothy is never going to make it down that yellow brick road that she's forever caught in the clutches of the Wicked Witch of the West. You can't say that fast. <laughs> wicked Witch of the West. 
Or when Frodo has lost the ring and it seems like he will never recover it to the peril of Middle Earth. Or when Darth Vader has conquered all of the heroes, Luke has lost his hand and every, every hero is gone to the doom of the galaxy. We know at that point, that's not the end of the story. And that every climax and every traumatic moment is all but leading and building to something greater that will be achieved at the final victory. There's something to be said about that. We use words like perspective or hindsight. The ability to look back over everything that happened, even the difficult things that happened, and to realize how the weaving and moving and happening of things in our lives brought us to where we stand today. In Genesis chapter 50, where we find our young man Joseph, is that now Jacob, their father, is dead. Jacob and all the sons and their families have moved over to Egypt. And for a brief period of time, Joseph is reunited with his father. But now in Genesis 50, his father has died and the brothers are terrified. In verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. You kind of get what's going on here? We noted on Sunday, it was obvious to everyone because of that colorful coat that Joseph was the favorite son to Jacob. And we got that relationship. It was obvious that Jacob loved Joseph. But what we also see when you walk through this story is that Joseph really loved Jacob. Do you remember the first thing he said in Genesis 45 when he unveiled his identity? Genesis 45 verse 3, he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Well, now that his father is dead, the brothers are terrified. He's going to take it out on us. Joseph is going to take the pain of grief and loss and all these years of being separated from his father. He's going to enact revenge on us now. In fact, did you notice verse 17? Isn't that rich? Hey, uh, Joseph, dad said you need to forgive us. So I just want you to remember, <laughs> dad says don't hold a grudge against us. And then they bow down. They're afraid that this nice, kind, patient Joseph is going to change. And what they didn't realize is he did change. That that boy they threw into a pit all those years ago was not the same man standing before them now. Because Joseph, do you notice his first response? They come groveling at his feet for mercy. And again, the pain of bitterness had broken with grace and mercy which flowed in tears. Verse 19, right here in our context. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
One of the ways Joseph changed through these years is that he had an enriched perspective of life. He didn't have 20-20 vision. 20-20 vision is clarity in the moment. I can see everything now as it is. We might say he had 50-20 vision, right out of our context here. Genesis 50-20 vision is this, the ability to look backwards over everything that took place and to see with clarity how God used those moments for where I stand today. Just walk, walk it through right here, what Joseph was able to see now all these years later. How we see God, God meant. There are many people today who will use this, everything that happened to Joseph as their silver bullet, that there cannot be a God, there cannot be a good God, there cannot be this God in light of all the suffering and evil in the world. But you don't hear that in Joseph, do you? Look at all the evil that God brought into my life. I was innocent and God did this to me. You don't hear that in Joseph. Genesis 50 and 20, Joseph understood two things. He knew where evil came from, but he remembered where good came from. You did evil to me, but God took your evil, and he is the one who brought about good. That's a good reminder for us. Evil comes in this life because of a lot of sources. Sometimes it's evil people like these brothers. Sometimes it's just the evil one sowing his seed, sickness and disease and disasters. But we need never forget, good brethren, there's a source of evil and there's a source of good. Every good thing, James says in James 1 and verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from, a, from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. You know, when we do, as we sing that song, count your many blessings, when we count our blessings, it's not to be so enamored with all the blessings we have. It's to be more captivated with the giver of those blessings. Count your blessings to see how good God is. And so here's Joseph and he says, I've never lost sight of the fact, even in dark times, God was with me and God was good. He was able to look back at his suffering. God meant it for good. Did you notice a two letter word to describe seven chapters of what happened to him? God meant it. Well, it was the pit. It was getting kicked out of the house and losing his coat by the brothers. It was getting sold to those Ishmaelite traders. It was being sold into slavery in Egypt. It was everything with Potiphar's wife and everything she threw at him. It was being slandered and thrown into prison and then forgotten for years. God meant it for good. Sometimes it's hard to see that, isn't it? How in the world could anything good come out of this? How could God take this suffering? How could God take this pain? How could God take this cancer? How could God, God take this downsizing? How could God take this poverty? How could God take this illness? How could God take this death and use it for something good? And in the moment, we may not be able to see it, but Joseph saw it. I realized the bad that was woven into my life served a greater purpose. And for you and I, we need to come to terms with you and I may not follow in the same footsteps of Joseph in this way. No one may ever know what happens in our life. They may never hear our story. They may never know about the ways that you and I have suffered. They may never see the ways that God has seen us through the valleys to greater places. But Paul used in Romans chapter 8 the same language when he says in verse 28, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now stop. Because there's some people who look at it in verse 28 and say, aha, bad things happen to you, but just wait. God's going to turn it into good. And so you lost your job, just wait. God's going to give you a better job. You lost your hair, one day God's going to give you a head full of hair. That one never comes true, but just wait, it's going to happen. 
You lost your wealth one day, you're going to get really rich. You're really sick now, just wait, you're going to get a lot better. There's a lot of people who look at this as if God's saying he's going to give you your own personal good. Do you notice how verse 29 begins? For. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the, force, uh, the firstborn among many brethren. Firstly, this is not talking about everyone. It's talking about those who love God. Do you notice that in verse 28? It's not every person. It's those who love God and have a heart for God. And secondly, right at the end of verse 28, it's not my personal good that God's bringing about. It's his good according to his purpose. What is he saying here? That God can take all the bad things that happen in our life, and they are bad. Let's call them as they are. They're not minor accidents. They're not, they're not small speed bumps on our journey from here. Don't, they're bad things. But God can take them and use them and through them create in us a heart and a life more like Jesus. That's what it's about. That he's taking those parts of me that aren't like the sun. Maybe it's that temper we talked about on Monday. And he's able to take that temper and cause more peace and patience. Maybe it's just a mind that's distracted and worldly and through suffering and hardship, I'm more focused and directed on the right priorities. God can take the hard things in our life and to make us more like his son. And if no one else knows about it and no one hears that part of our story, but God takes our hardships in life and makes us more like Jesus, then an ultimate good has been accomplished. I can re-see my suffering. If God can make me more like Jesus, to, to God be the glory. And to thanks be for those sufferings. He was able to look at his brothers. You meant it for evil. Joseph was able to look to the past with clarity. There's no question what it is that they intended. But you also notice you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. It's Joseph's way of looking to the past with clarity. But in the present with compassion. He wasn't bearing that grudge anymore. Those deep wounds had grown into a scar and healed over by grace. That passage we looked at at length last night in Ephesians 4, beginning verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Joseph unpacked his box. Joseph went through the pain of the past. And Joseph was able to see his brothers and talk to his brothers and to talk about what happened without breaking down in anger and wrath. Without revenge, he was able to speak to them with clarity and kindness and compassion because he had already forgiven them long ago. And then we might say he was able to see the purpose. The purpose behind God and all of the pain that took place because he says to preserve many people alive. Now think of that. Think about what that means for a moment. The pit and being thrown in the pit and sold as a slave and taken to Egypt and cast in the Potiphar's house and then slandered for doing the right thing and thrown in the prison for years was all used to preserve many people alive. Who's that include? Well, really, who didn't include at that time? There's a lot of children who were saved because of Joseph doing the right thing, even in his suffering. There were families who were spared because Joseph did the right thing and was faithful even in his suffering. There were nations that were spared because Joseph did the right thing and endured in his suffering. But have you thought about that phrase today? This side of the cross? You see, one of those people who was spared in light of everything that Joseph did was Jacob and Jacob's son, 
Judah, who thousands of years later would have a descendant named Jesus of Nazareth, the same Jesus who would go to the cross for you and for me. And so Joseph, going through the pit and the hardship and the suffering to preserve many people alive, is us. He preserved us. Why is it not the same when we see a movie a second or third time in a row? Because we know the end of the story. We, we know how it all ends. Every tense moment, every climax we know is building towards an ultimate good. Joseph couldn't see it in the pit. He wouldn't have understand it in Potiphar's house. Were you to tell him in prison one day you're going to be the second in command in all of Egypt and you're going to save the entire world, he would have laughed. Surely. It's only having gone through the storm and all the hardships, he was able to look back and to see how God took the pain and the hardships and the suffering and to use it for something good. He was able to see the purpose in the pain. That's growth, brethren. We can't see it in the moment. Sometimes so often all we see is the pain and the suffering and the hardship. We see what is. But as Paul would say in the book of Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 3, that not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's he saying? There are some things we will not gain without the storms of life. There are some lessons we will not learn unless we walk down the valley. If you want to see the stars, you have to step out into the darkness. And there are some things you and I, we're not going to learn about ourselves. We're not going to learn about our God. We won't learn about life unless we allow ourselves to fall in those pits and have a heart that's humble enough to learn and to listen. That's growth. He didn't get bitter. He didn't quit. He allowed those difficult seasons of life to make him the man he became. That's what I want you to think about with our last couple of minutes together. What good can come out of that? In what ways, from what Paul is saying in Romans 5 and what Joseph is reflecting on, what good could possibly come from the hardships we face in life? What do we learn what things are challenging us and shaping us through those storms? And I, I want to start here. One of the things that comes from the hardships in life that help us to grow is a strengthening towards temptation. It's no surprise the evil one is after us and he wants to use the hardships in life to cripple us and to end our faith and to weaken our resolve. I mean, Peter used a language that we are facing against these fleshly lusts, which notice wage war against the soul. It's not a passive argument. It is a mighty strife between the evil one and us. But I want you to get this in your mind. When through the power of God and the grace of God and the victory in Jesus Christ, Satan tempts us, but we withstand. And we say, nope, I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no, and I'm going to resist him. As, as Paul would say in Romans 8 and verse 37, and all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. So I conquer and I win. What's different the next time that temptation comes into our life. I withstood it through God's strength. I said no when I wanted to say yes. What's different the next time that temptation comes along the way? Well, that temptation's not any different. 
And in fact, the strength and the allurement of that temptation is not any different. You know what's different? Me. I'm different. Because now I've done that. I have already fought that battle and I won through God. And if I won the battle before, and if I through God said no before and was faithful before, I can do so again and again and again. Go back a couple chapters. Let's remind ourselves of something we looked at on Sunday. In Genesis 39, when Joseph is in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife is throwing herself at Joseph. Get your eyes in Genesis 39 and get it again on 10. Genesis 39 and verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Joseph won the battle every single day. You and I can win the battle over sin and temptation every single day. Do you remember when David was with King Saul and he was ready to go fight Goliath? And Saul's like, hmm, you'd seem a little small. Why don't you put on my armor? I don't think you're able to do this. You remember what David said? David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. You see what he's saying? God was with me before. God saw me through before. And if God was with me there, he'll be with me here. It's not all at once. And can we appreciate that? That Genesis 39 and verse 11, what it doesn't say, or verse 10, it doesn't say, and Joseph won all the battles in his life in one day. That's not what it says. He won the battle day by day. How is life lived? Day by day, moment by moment. As one author said, perseverance is not one long race. It's many short races, one after another. It's hanging in there for another day. Sometimes it is hour by hour, moment by moment. How do we sing that in that, in that hymn? From victory unto victory. For some of us, that's where we need to begin. We try to do too much. I'm going to defeat this once for all in my life. No, no, but I can defeat it right now. God, through his strength and grace, gave me victory yesterday. And so today, I'm going to win this morning. And I'm not going to sin this morning. All through lunch, through lunch, I got a busy work schedule. I got that one person who makes it really hard in the business meeting. I'm going to win this business meeting. And I'm not going to sin with my mind or with my lips. I've got a long afternoon, Thanksgiving coming up. Thanksgiving can be a real challenge for some people. I'm going to win Thanksgiving. And I'm going to be in control of my mind and my lips and my heart. I'm going to win this dinner. I'm going to win this day. I won't win the lifetime. Not all at once. But day after day, moment after moment, if God saw me through before, he has shown me and I have proven to myself, I can do it. I can do it. Through Christ, we can win. There is something different from us, brethren, if we just think back like David. God saw me through this. I don't have to lose this battle. I don't have to give in. God gave me victory before, and so I'm going to win this again. Maybe just this moment, maybe just this night, but at least tonight, I'm going to win from moment from moment, from victory on to victory. Something else that hard times help us with is there's a softening towards others, a softening that take, uh, takes place in our lives towards others. For some people, 
They just find it hard to sympathize with people. You go to them and you share your burdens and you look for a shoulder to cry on and it, it's just not there. They just don't like people who cry. They don't like to listen to sad stories. But you know what happens? Those hard, gristled hearts of people who don't like to sympathize, who don't like to offer an ounce of kindness, when they have something hard that happens to them in their life, when they walk through the valley, when they face the storm, all of a sudden that hard heart starts to get real soft. The great equalizer in life is pain. And perhaps even greater than that is death. Nothing makes us more alike than the people who have suffered and shared in that suffering. Back in our context in Genesis 50, don't you see that? The brothers had suffered out of agony of how they had treated Joseph, over grief of how they had destroyed the relationship they had with their brother. Joseph had pain because of what they had done to him and the, and the process of, of forgiving and going through what they had done to him. And so in verse 21, you don't see a battle taking place once again as they're asking for grace and Joseph is unpacking what took place in the past. Instead, what you see is comfort and kindness and grace. There ought to be a lot of sympathy from one to another when we realize the pain one another has faced. There's a story of, of a boy who went to a dog shop and he wanted to buy a dog. And so he went and he looked at all the dogs and he found the one he wanted. And so he brought it to the checkout counter and he said, this is the dog I want. And the owner said, no. He said, no, you don't want this dog. There's a lot of other dogs. There's a lot of better dogs than this one. Just go pick out another dog. And the boy goes, no, I want, I want this dog. And the owner said, it only has three legs. There's a lot of things it cannot do. Go pick yourself another dog. The boy said, no, I, I really want this dog. He said, boy, you're not listening. It's not going to be able to run like other dogs and jump like other dogs and play like other dogs. And he tucked that man's pants and had him to point down. And he lifted up his pant leg to show the prosthetic. He said, I know, but he sure is a lot like me. I may not know your pain. I may not know what it is that you faced. But that doesn't mean that I don't know pain. That I've not suffered. If there's something that we learn through life's storm, it is the immense importance, God, good brethren, of hearts of sympathy from one to another. Sympathy is your hurt in my heart. Or as Paul would say, in the good times, we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice together. But when we hurt, we're going to cry with one another. We're going to weep together. As one author said, sympathy alone can't alter facts. But it can help to make them more bearable. In other words, I can't change what happened in your past. But I can sure make a difference that you're not suffering alone today in the present. I can't change what happened to you yesterday, but I'll stand with you today. I'll bear your burdens with you today. I will weep with you today. If there is anything suffering teaches us is that we're not the enemy, but there is an enemy who's made life a lot hard, a lot harder for a lot of us. So what I need is I need to love you a lot greater. I need to be far more patient than I am, knowing and hoping that you will love and be just as patient and gracious with me because we're going through this together. We hurt where one another hurts. And we stand through our hard times together. 
And I think the last thing you see through hard times is that there's a sobering that takes place towards life. Because you notice what was not brought up at all from Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 and 21. When Joseph is going through with the brothers as they come and they grovel at his feet, he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and that was it. He didn't bring up the pit. He didn't bring up the jealousy. He didn't bring up the coat. He didn't bring up his father. That had already happened. It was in the past. It wasn't what was most important. What was most important was going forward as a family and remembering the promise that was to come, and we'll get there tomorrow night. There's something that happens along the way, and it usually happens not in the valleys. It usually happens in the green pastures of life where we tend to forget the things that matter the most. We tend to major in the minors and minor in the majors, as Paul would say it this way. In 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 4, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Do you see the language in verse 6? There's some people and they're hitting the snooze button on life. They're missing it. They're focused on a lot of different things that pale in comparison to what really matters the most. A legendary basketball coach John Wooten used to hold a, a small wooden cross in his pocket when he would coach. And he'd reach down and he'd feel that cross. And it was to remind him, he said, that there's some things in life that are more important than basketball. In fact, one time he said this. He said, I've always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate it is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. There is only one kind of life that truly wins, and that is the one that places faith in the hands of the Savior. Isn't that like what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, and verse 14? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, I know we read that, but let's just make that clear tonight. The cross is more important. The cross is more important than politics. Of any policy, of any person, of any position, the cross is more important. The cross is more important in our occupations, in our jobs, and any position we will hold under the sun. The cross is more important than our finances and the power we have accumulated through all of our toil and labor. The cross is more important than our opinions, no matter how finely crafted and woven they may be. The cross is more important than our college, where we have gone to school, if we went to school, if we plan to go to school. And think of this, we've got some who are going to be seniors real soon. They're those big life choices they have to make all of a sudden when they turn 18. It still goes back to this. If you go to school or not go to school, if you get married, if you have kids, it all goes back to this. The cross is more important than any of those choices. If I go to school, it's based on the cross. And wherever I go to school, I'm going to honor King Jesus. And if I get married, I'm making that choice in light of Jesus. This person's going to help me above all things to make it to heaven. And if we have kids, our highest priority is not GPA or MP3, but G-O-D. It's heaven. When this is the ultimate thing in my life, every decision, even for seniors, but for you and I, in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s plus, it's informed by that one central thing. Every choice, every decision is informed by the cross. Because let me ask you something. Do you remember two years ago? Do you remember 2020? 
Seems like it was yesterday, wasn't it? When the stock market crashed and people lost their jobs, when Washington failed and the news outlets lied, when our bodies were weak and were sick and were frail, where everything everyone leaned on fell, what was the one thing that stood firm? The cross. It is the cross. If we think 2020 was the worst we will face in our lifetime, I think we're, we're shortly deceived. But there is one central thing that will always stand firm, good brethren. The cross will always matter more. There's a story of a, of a guy years ago who had these cocoons that were outside of his house, and he saw this butterfly try to make it out of this cocoon. It was wiggling and wiggling. But he saw it was struggling because the hole was really small. And he was trying to force its way out of that hole. And so he ran, and he got a pair of scissors, and he cut that cocoon, and that thing just plopped right out. And it was red and real swollen, and it was just kind of oozing along on the ground. And it wasn't long before it just kind of fell over and died. What he did not know is that by God's design, caterpillars, when they come out of that cocoon and into their form of a butterfly transformed, have to push themselves through a small hole and all the fluid that's built up in their bud, on their body is forced back into the wings, which are given the strength in order to hold them up and to fly. He thought he was sparing this caterpillar from a moment of pain, but he did not realize that that pain had a purpose in order for a beautiful transformation to take place. All by God's design. Rather, not one of us. There's not one of us that asks God for pain in life. We don't ask God and pray to God for our dark valleys. We don't ask Him for suffering to enter into our lives. In fact, one author said it this way. I love how they put it. They said, I asked God for strength, and He gave me the difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom, and He gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me the brain and the brawn to work. I requested courage, and he gave me danger to overcome. I asked for love, and he gave me troubled people to help. I prayed for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted, but received everything I needed. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? When we stand there, and I mean there, and we are face to face with the Savior, and we are home, in God's incredible place. And we look back over life's journey to think about what was it that helped us to make it there. We'll look back and remember those pits in Egypt to help us get refocused, to help us to learn and to grow and to become the people God intended us to be. A year ago, Brother Bowman passed away and his writings are still blessing us. There's one I keep in the back of my Bible, and this is what he wrote. It's called, Remember Where You're Going. When the road seems long and every turn is hard, when it's a struggle to continually go on and there's nobody to cheer you on, you remember where you're going. When the loads of life are heavy, when its burdens keep shifting, and when breath is hard to get, remember where you're going. When progress seems slow and you take two steps only to fall back one, 
when it would seem so easier just to quit, remember where you're going. When the end seems so far away and the path keeps getting harder with so many hills yet to climb, each one steeper than the last, remember where you're going. When you find that getting closer doesn't make it any easier, when you're inside of the end and the last mile seems to be the most difficult, remember where you're going. When you finally get there, when you've crossed the finish line and you look back at the trail with all of its difficulties, when you can finally take a deep breath and realize it's over, you'll look back at what made you keep on. You remembered where you're going. We're going home. We're heaven bound. Every pit, every hardship, every trial, it's just but a step of helping us be the people God wants us to be, a people who will live with him in eternity. If you've not started that journey tonight, it's your night to make that decision, to make that choice. And if you are willing this very night to confess Jesus as your Lord, to turn from your sin and to put him on in baptism, tonight you can leave, adopted as his child, one who is living heaven bound. But it could be this very evening that you've come here troubled with a lot on your, on your life, a lot of burdens that you're carrying. And if you would like some prayers of the saints to help you and encourage you and help you keep on going where we're heading, we'd love to help you. So if we can encourage you or help you in anything and in any way, we'd love to do so. Let's do it right now as we stand and as we sing.